It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. What is going on? Welcome to the show. It is Friday, August 21st. Thanks so much for uh, listening to the show. And for making me a part of your day, I do appreciate it. The show is made possible by patrons like Trudy and Gene and Ben and Alan, Ron, Juanita, Pamela, Stephen, Michelle, and Nancy. Thanks so much. I could not do the show without you. The show is also made possible by the good folks at Old Grouch's Military Surplus. Tim is the Old Grouch. He's actually the second Old Grouch. His dad was the original Old Grouch. You could say the OG Old Grouch. And uh, for more than 30 years... They've been selling real U.S. military surplus in downtown Clyde. He's got an expanded line now of first aid kits and medical supplies. He's got body armor in. These are made to NATO specs, but they're from all over. These are for in-store purchases or over-the-phone purchases only. He also has some face masks that are made locally by a disabled veterans family out of military parachutes. So they're lightweight and they are soft. He's got steel gas cans. These are the old school, the uh, the pre-ban kind, you know, before government got rid of them. Um, yeah, so the good ones. He could paint them for you, too. Or if you want the rustic look, uh, you can keep them as is. Uh, he will work with you. Just go check him out at Old Grouch's Military Surplus on Main Street, downtown Clyde. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. Talk about a landmark. And, oh, also at oldgrouch.com. So this week, North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper held another one of his tightly scripted and heavily screened news conferences. Uh, no, he did not announce any lifting of restrictions, although we should be glad, I guess, that there are no new restrictions he put upon us. I think I heard him say that the beatings would continue until morale improves. Governor Cooper touted the stable and the declining numbers. While we're encouraged by the numbers, just remember, this is because many North Carolinians are doing the right things. Mm taking the right precautions, and making good decisions. Those who are making good decisions to fight the spread of the virus have to continue. Those who aren't need to start. Now, we often say we're all in this together. That means that we should support each other. But it also means that individual actions impact our statewide numbers. I kind of get the feeling he's talking to conservatives right here. Do you get that feeling? He's making a pitch about personal responsibility. We know that's sort of a conservative mantra. Personal responsibility Mm -hmm. for people of all ages is key. Over the last few weeks, we've seen a decrease in the number of people asking to be tested. Uh Uh-oh. We know that robust testing is key to reducing spread and keeping our communities healthy. So the state has focused on ways to increase the number of tests. Today, the Department of Health and Human Services is announcing a new effort to provide more free testing sites in communities where it's needed. All right. So again, we hear Governor Cooper, as he has before, crediting himself and the mask mandate that he issued with reducing the case numbers and deaths. Right? He He's making this connection between his orders 
The stay, or sorry, now it's called the Safer at Home Executive Order, or the SHIO. Uh, So he's crediting his own SHIO with the stable and declining metrics. Slight problem is that there's not actually any proof that this is true, and I'm going to get into more of this later. But also, he's urging more people to get tested, which might not seem like a big deal. I mean, I was a proponent of testing at the beginning of the pandemic because it could help identify outbreaks to allow you know fast responses. And when nobody really knew what the virus was, what it was doing, how it was uh, spreading, then you wanted to get testing ramped up as quickly as possible. And you wanted to deploy the tests in outbreak areas, in hot zones. So you can find out, okay, wait a minute, this person has it. Don't let them near the old people in the nursing homes. Which, by the way, the governor finally got around to mandating uh, the testing of nursing home staff. Finally. I mean, it's every, I think it's like, what, every two weeks or something? Six months in, got right on the ball on that. Anyway, um, the problem now, though, is that the testing might simply be fueling fear in what is called a case-demic. Instead of a pandemic, it's a case-demic. A case-demic occurs when a virus rips through a society, killing the most vulnerable, but then it starts tapering off, either due to seasonality, think of like the flu, right? Influenza, pneumonia, seasonal. Um, Or it could taper off due to mutations in the genetic code uh, that make the virus weaker. Or it could taper off because enough people have gotten it and survived and so now there's enough of a herd immunity where it doesn't the, the virus can't make the jumps that it used to be able to make so while the tapering off think of this the tapering off is occurring think of the the chart right as that as the numbers now start tapering off and start going down the testing continues or is even ramped up which is what governor cooper is talking about doing and so naturally you're going to find more cases when you go looking for them, right? And in this case, there can be remnants of the coronavirus that's still in people's systems, and that'll pop a positive on these PCR tests. And so what's the result there, okay? You get a lot of new cases that are counted and few people who are actually presenting any symptoms, let alone like getting sick themselves. They're asymptomatic, but they test positive. And so the case numbers go up and then everybody thinks the virus is still ripping through the society like it was at the beginning of the pandemic when it's not. This is a case-demic, right? It's a panic. And um, here you go. Here's a great example. Franklin Templeton partnered with Gallup Polling to gauge Americans' views on the pandemic. Here's what they found. Quote, Americans misperceive the risks of death from COVID-19 for different age cohorts to a shocking extent. This misperception is greater for those who identify as Democrats and for those who rely more on social media for information. So, like, this was actually really important for me to read. And you're probably now, like, feeling a little bit Like, oh my gosh, I'm not crazy. It seems like you're talking to insane people on social media sometimes because they think everyone is dying all around them. This is where it comes from. Governor Cooper 
is never challenged on any of the assertions that he makes when it comes to the metrics and the interpretation of the data. He's never asked about any of the data beyond what he presents. Like this, the things that I have just mentioned, seasonality, herd immunity, uh, and possible mutations of the virus, these are topics that have never been raised in the six months of press conferences that the governor has held. Why is that? Why is that? I would submit that if this misperception that has been identified by Gallup, if this misperception is accurate and it is greater among those who identify as Democrats, the people who are asking the questions in the press conferences, they tend to skew left, right? They tend to be Democrats. All the polling and surveys of media newsrooms going back decades, my entire adult life, has always been a huge disproportionate amount of Democrats to Republicans or liberals to conservatives in newsrooms. And so if this is a misperception that is greater among those who identify as Democrats, is it really that shocking that you're going to find this kind of blind spot amongst reporters that are asking the questions of the governor? They don't know what they don't know. The North Carolina media outlets that are screened and then permitted to ask a question with sometimes a follow-up, which usually isn't even a follow-up to their first question. It's just new questions, not follow-ups at all. But those media outlets, those reporters, they never display, I mean, not even a modicum of skepticism of what Governor Cooper asserts. When he and his health, uh, his uh, Secretary of Health, Mandy Cohen, when they say there's a direct correlation between his mask mandate and the decline in cases... He gets a mostly true, and she gets a mostly true rating from WRAL's PolitiFact NC, despite quotes in their own report from health experts who say it's literally impossible to prove such a link. Okay, They have quotes <laughs> from health experts in the story as part of the fact check, and these experts are saying you can't really prove that. And so WRAL comes down with a mostly true rating. How do you get there? Right? It, it's just, that's just nuts. Almost as nuts as getting a mattress from somewhere other than Mattress Man. Why would you do that? Mattressmanstores.com, four locations in Asheville, Arden, and Hendersonville. They ship nationwide. So if you are listening on the other side of the planet, they can get you a mattress. Well, nationwide, actually, not on the other side of the planet. The other side of the country. Yeah, that's what nationwide means, Pete. So let the sleep consultants help you find the right bed for you. Okay, they are experts at doing this. They go through six weeks of extensive training to learn all about the various kinds of mattresses and the kind of support that different mattresses provide different types of sleepers, you know, side sleepers, stomach sleepers, head sleepers, you know, whatever, however you sleep. Go to Mattress Man and experience the difference. They have a triple zero deal going on right now. Zero down, zero interest for up to two years, and zero payments for 90 days. So you're basically getting a free mattress for three months, and they have a 120-day comfort guarantee, okay? So uh, you really can't lose here. How about a queen-sized gel memory foam mattress for $399? Talk about a deal, right? How about a free bedding bundle that includes sheets and protectors and pillows with the purchase of select mattresses? And you can get the Biltmore collection. You can get the Biltmore mattress by Restonic. It's made in Fayetteville. These are the mattresses at the Biltmore. Well, not the old, uh, you know, the 
Biltmore House, but it's at the hotel, uh, you know, and the and the inn. So if you've ever been there and you've ever slept on their mattresses, you know they're really good. You can get one of those for your own home, and then you could tell everybody like I sleep on a mattress at the Biltmore. Like this is the same mattress. Look at this. I'm like a Biltmore. I mean, you don't have to go all the way, but I mean, you can intimate that if you would like. So head on over there, go to one of their four stores, or go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, buy local, sleep better. So Governor Cooper keeps making this connection, he and his health secretary, Mandy Cohen, they keep making this connection between the mask mandate and uh, all of the declines in all of the metrics. And nobody is asking them whether or not that's actually true. Here, listen. I think a lot of North Carolinians are doing the things they need to do to slow the spread of the virus. We talk about the three W's. More and more North Carolinians are understanding that there's a positive end to this, that it helps reduce the spread. Uh, I'll let Dr. Cohen give more specifics if she has them. Thank you, Governor. I think that's exactly right. We're seeing a decline in cases that tracks back directly to when the governor instituted his requirement for uh, face coverings here in the state. Um, That was instituted the very end of June. Within three weeks of that time, you started to see our first declines of cases here in North Carolina. Um, And I think that that very much shows that 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 mask mandate is very much driving our success. Okay. Again, health experts say you cannot make any kind of correlation between the two. Now, it may be, okay, but it may not be, right? It may be, but it may not be. And here's a piece of evidence that it may not be driving these results. If you look at all states and all nations, their curves look a lot like ours. They really do. Now that we have distance, you can kind of step back. You know, when you're in the middle of it and everything's going up and up, you're like, I have no idea where this is going to end. So, yeah, do what we can. Lock everything down. Put the masks on, right? You should always wash your hands. I'm a big believer in washing my hands all the time. So um, that one was not really that difficult for me to adopt and endorse. But uh, when you now have the distance of six months, eight months out, and you see the bulge at the front, you know, think of the graphs, the big fat bulge at the front, and then a tapering off. And all of the southeastern United States saw the tapering off right about at the same time. So why is this important? Because there were no mask mandates in these other states. So if North Carolina's mask mandate is the reason why our numbers have dropped, why did South Carolina's numbers drop at the same time? Or Tennessee's? Or Georgia's? Not only did these states not have the mask mandates, they didn't even lock down a lot of the stuff that Cooper did. Is still doing. Right? Look, this is not an attack on specific measures that Cooper enacted. Right? What I'm expressing here is an honest skepticism about whether these responses have actually caused the decline in these metrics, particularly the case counts. Is it possible, just spitballing here, but is it possible that the virus is simply running its course, that viruses are going to virus? It's what they do, right? That we are basically powerless to prevent its spread to any real uh, degree. And until and until we have a vaccine or herd immunity kicks in, the, the virus is going to run its course, whatever that course actually is. We can do some things. We can try to protect the most vulnerable. But at the end of the day, the virus does what it does. But our politics is such 
that nobody can ever admit that an action or a mandate that they implemented might not have worked as intended or as predicted. And even when I assume, I have said this since the beginning, even when I assume that everybody, including Governor Cooper, has made the best decision that they thought they could make with the limited information that they had at the time they made the choices, right? And look, at the very beginning, all we had were bad options. You look around, it's like, what do we do? They're just but bad option A, bad option B, bad option C, and you pick one of them, and no, you know that you're going to get attacked because you picked a bad option. People would say, no, no, we should have picked this other bad option. Your option was worse. Well, I tried to defer to the governor as much as possible while still expressing skepticism on things that I think warranted skepticism. So I understand that he made the best decision that he could, as did other leaders, with the limited information at the time that they had when they were making the choices. However, now refusing to adapt when new information emerges, like that's just indefensible. It's indefensible. And for reporters that go and cover these press conferences, this is media malpractice, right? Here's another example. When Governor Cooper wants to, he drops the hammer on businesses like that racetrack down east and the bars and the gyms and the bowling alleys and the theaters, right? When he does this, he assumes near limitless power. Heck, I mean, he defended his new self-adopted expansive powers in a lawsuit brought by Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, who said that the state constitution requires the governor to get approval from the Council of State, right, which is the other statewide elected leaders like uh, Attorney General, Lieutenant Governor, Secretary of State, Agriculture Commissioner, like all of those other statewide races or offices. All right, so he'll drop the hammer and enact sweeping orders on these other businesses. But when he doesn't want to do that, he pretends then that his power is limited, like nursing homes. For months, his administration was saying, well, we really can't force the nursing homes to do all of this testing. And then what, about three weeks ago, they finally came out and said, okay, now we're going to force them to do the testing, right? So you could do it. You just didn't do it. For some reason, I don't know why, I would ask, but they wouldn't let me through their screening process. Right. So nursing homes have meat processors and colleges. Right. He left all of that to the board of governors and the universities to decide whether to reopen and uh, or whether to stay closed and all of that. He, he kicked the can down the road or he gave the, the power or left it with the board of governors. He did not make the decision, which, by the way, is ironic because he constantly attacks President Trump for leaving the response to the state leaders. Right. He's, he's always talking about how the federal government didn't do enough. You know, we needed guidance from the federal government. And uh, then the, the federal government just said the states should be in charge of these responses. And and you can have an argument about that one way or the other. But Governor Cooper then does the very same thing when he kicks it over to the universities uh, to make these decisions for themselves. But this is another example. My point here is an example of how arbitrary the governor's shios have been these stay-home executive orders. Governor Cooper was then asked on the college front, he was asked by a reporter at the News and Observer why he issued the mandates on K-12 through reopenings, but not colleges, which are now having to send students home for remote learning because of the outbreaks. And he has no answer. Well, first, we want to keep safety at the top of the list here. And 
the public school system, obviously the governor, the State Board of Education, Department of Public Instruction uh, need to make decisions about opening of schools and how they open. The university is a separate entity. They need to make their decisions about what they need to do, but at the same time, our Department of Health and Human Services is giving them guidance and make, making recommendations, and we hope that with that cooperative effort that they can come up with uh, a good plan going forward. Some of these universities have real good plans going in. Some of them need to learn lessons of what happened at UNC Chapel Hill that went in a little earlier than some of the other universities. So I think working together, we can get through this thing, making sure people are safe, but also making sure that students continue to learn. That's not an answer. The governor who shut down entire sectors of the economy, including public schools, now he's tap dancing away from taking the same action on colleges. What's the difference, right? He, you're telling me he has the power to restrict K-12 and lock all those down, send everybody home, but he doesn't have the power to do it with college students? This is, this is the fantasy that we are expected to just accept and go along with. It's not an answer. Unlike general equipment rental, which is the answer, actually, if you are trying to keep your workplace sanitized and disinfected and uh, looking out for the protection and the health of your customers and your workers, general equipment rental in Weaverville is your source for the Karcher misting system with vital oxide disinfectant. What is vital oxide disinfectant with this Carter uh, misting system, Pete? Glad you asked. Okay, the Karcher mister is uh, it's like a size of a shop vac. It's got four wheels. You roll it around. It's cordless and it sprays this vital oxide disinfectant everywhere, which leaves your surfaces and everything protected for seven to 10 days. So all you got to do is spot clean the high traffic areas. Well, what is this disinfectant? Glad you asked, Pete. It's safe for kids and pets. It's safe for food contact surfaces, including your countertops and your cookware, your appliances. You don't even have to rinse anything afterwards, wipe anything down. It's all non-toxic, hypoallergenic, odorless. It's colorless. It's 100% biodegradable. It is an all-in-one, hospital-grade, EPA-approved germicidal disinfectant sanitizer and deodorizer. It kills 99.9% of infection-causing bacteria and viruses, including the coronavirus the COVID-19 virus, um, as well as norovirus, H1N1, influenza B, E. coli, MRSA. It also will kill off the mold and the mildew and the fungus if you got those type, uh, types of issues going on in your house or your business. Uh, this thing does it all. I think it actually also does your grocery shopping as well. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. But that's what I've heard. It just does everything. General equipment rental in Weaverville, Family-owned and operated for three generations, meeting all of your equipment rental needs from construction and earth moving to lawn and garden. Whatever the project is, General Equipment Rental has the tool you'll need. Um, this is going to be a big deal come fall, right? Do you want to buy all of the equipment that you need to you know, do all of your tree trimming and uh, you know, leaf blowing and everything else? If you only need it like once a year, why would you go out and spend the money to buy it? Just rent it. Anyway, they have uh, service equipment repair. So you can bring your stuff to them and they'll fix it up. Uh, they also offer Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment, sales and service. So if you are interested in buying power equipment, go to General Equipment Rental, generalrents.com, generalrents.com slash Pete for a uh, coupon for two free 
cloth face coverings. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. GeneralRents.com. Think outside your toolbox. By the way, Governor Cooper and Secretary Cohen, they're touting their policies as the reason for the declining numbers in the state, right? But they refuse to lift any restrictions. They haven't lifted a single restriction on the businesses that are still restricted. Um, They say it's to prevent more outbreaks. But if that is the truth, then there will never be a reason to lift the orders unless there's a cure. That's what they're saying, right? That's the logical conclusion of this rationale. It goes unarticulated and it goes unquestioned by a fearful and panicked and allied media. This is the problem with these press conferences, in my humble estimation. Um, Going back to the Franklin Templeton survey, uh, which was titled uh, in the the post that they did by Sonal Desai, PhD, Chief Investment Officer at Franklin Templeton Fixed Income, this was titled, They Blinded Us From Science. And they talk about the misperceptions of risk. Six months into the pandemic, Americans still dramatically misunderstand the risk of dying from COVID-19. On average, Americans believe that people aged 55 and older account for more than half, just over half, of the total COVID-19 deaths. The actual figure, though, is 92%. Okay, So there's a disconnect here. Americans think 55 and older is only half of the deaths, but it's 9 out of 10. Americans believe that if you're under the age of 44 or younger, right, that that accounts for 30% of the total deaths. It's actually 2.7, 2.7 under the age of 44. Americans overestimate the risk of death from COVID-19 for people who are aged 24 and younger by a factor of 50. And they think the risk for people that are 65 and older is half of what it actually is. So I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers and numbers are very good, uh, uh, not very good on the radio. I get it. But the, the main takeaway here, what she says in this report, the results are nothing short of stunning in the complete misunderstanding of the risk by age groups, the risk of death by age groups. This is the and this is the problem when you're constantly focusing on cases and not case fatality and not breaking it down by different age groups. Um, Mortality data have shown from the very beginning that the COVID-19 virus age discriminates, right? Deaths overwhelmingly are concentrated in people who are older and suffer comorbidities. This is perhaps the only uncontroversial piece of evidence that we have about the virus. Nearly all U.S. fatalities have been among people older than the age of 55, and yet a large number of Americans are still convinced that the risk to those younger than 55 is the same as to those older than 55, right? Look at what's happening right now with all of the uh, the panic around the colleges. Oh my gosh, UNC, we got 500 cases. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Okay, what's the chance of dying from that? Very, 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 very little, Right? You have little chance, such a small chance of dying if you are in that age group, that the the panic and fear is nothing short of irrational at this point. We know enough about how the virus attacks different groups of people. The misperception translates directly into a degree of fear for one's health 
that for most people vastly exceeds the actual risk, she says. We find that the share of people who are very worried or somewhat worried or suffering serious or of suffering serious health consequences, should they get it, uh, is almost identical across all age brackets. So you got people who are in their 20s that think, if I get it, I'm going to die, just like a person in their 60s thinks, if I get it, I'm going to die. The discrepancy with the actual mortality data, she says, is, quote, staggering. For people age 18 to 24, so these college kids, the share of those worried about serious health consequences is 400 times higher than the share of total COVID deaths. Okay? It's, it is astounding. How did we end up here? For the last six months, we have all read and talked about nothing but COVID-19. How can there be still such a widespread, fundamental misunderstanding of the basic facts? Our poll, she says, results uh, identify our poll results identify two major culprits: the quality of information and the extreme politicization of the COVID nineteen debate. What have I been saying for months? We have to stop looking at this through the prism of Donald Trump. It's a virus, okay? Here's the, there are two bullet points. People who get their information predominantly from social media have the most erroneous and distorted perception of risk. I'm not saying that Republicans or conservatives who were poo-pooing the virus, that they were right. I'm not saying that, like that they had some special insight and knowledge of forethought, that they were experts on all of this. No, they were looking at it through the prism of Trump, too, and they didn't want it to be bad. The fact that they may have turned out to be right for certain age demographics does not make the position a Trumpian position, right? Doesn't make the facts Trump's facts. They're just facts. And this is why I say this is indefensible. If you know these things now, you cannot in good conscience and honestly continue with some of the orders that have been put in place that are killing businesses, driving people into poverty and despair. The other bullet point here, those who identify as Democrats tend to mistakenly overstate the risk of death from COVID-19 for younger people way more than Republicans, right? And this, sadly, comes as no surprise, she says. Fear and anger are the most reliable drivers of engagement. Scary tales of young victims of the pandemic intimating that we are all at risk of dying quickly go viral. So do stories that blame everything on your political adversaries. Both social and traditional media have been churning out both types of narratives in order to generate more clicks and increase their audience. It's media malpractice is what's going on. It's, I call it panic porn. It's disgusting. It's grotesque. And there needs to be some accountability in these newsrooms. Okay, and I'm going to get back to this in a second. The fact that the United States is in an election year, she says, has also exacerbated the problem. Stories that emphasize the dangers of the pandemic to all age cohorts and then tie the risk to Trump's handling of the crisis likely tend to resonate much more with Democrats than Republicans. And this might be a contributing factor to why, in survey results, Democrats tend to overestimate the risk of dying for different age cohorts to a greater extent than Republicans do. And by the way, um, if... Oh, if this had happened under Obama or if Joe Biden gets in and these numbers continue, I have no doubt that these sentiments will shift because that's where we are in America. Our susceptibility 
to how the information is presented also plays a role in this. The same data can be portrayed in different forms on a graph, and some look reassuring and some look alarming. And uh, I've seen various uh, explanations and examples of this over the last seven months, where you take a chart that if you zoom out, it doesn't look bad. If you zoom in on a particular area of the chart, oh my gosh, we're all going to die, right? Our study finds that how the data is presented has a very strong impact on people's attitudes. For example, respondents who were shown the case trends for Texas and Florida, and only those two, they, sh they were shown those trends in isolation, they were much less willing to reopen schools and businesses than those who were shown the same trends compared to New York, right? When you see the comparison, like this is what happened in New York, it's like, oh my God, <laughs> that's a huge spike right there. More alarming graphics tend to be used more frequently as they generate greater engagement. And also there's a political component here, which they don't say, uh, but I would point out the political component here is that you've got Republican governors of Texas and uh, Florida, and so it helps to portray them as killers and to whitewash the, uh, the policies and the absolute horrendous performance of New York's Democratic governor. In fact, he gets a slot at the DNC speaking. Yeah, I know. It's just it's unconscionable. The misinformation has a very concrete adverse uh, impact, she says. Our study results show that those who overstate deaths among young people are more cautious about making purchases, more reluctant to travel, and they favor keeping businesses and schools shut. Here again, we find a significant difference across partisan lines, and this causes a fundamental problem. The policy decisions of what activities to keep shut and for how long is a very difficult and consequential one. It requires balancing two opposite effects of uncertain scale. On the one hand, the benefits in terms of slowing COVID-19, and on the other hand, the harm to the economy and to people's long-term health and livelihoods. This decision is then strongly influenced by public perceptions of dangers not only because politicians are sensitive to the public's concerns, but also because politicians are people too, subject to some of the same biases. And I would insert not just politicians are people too, but reporters and editors, media folks are people too. And our poll results suggest fundamental misperceptions of the risk of death or serious adverse health consequences could be distorting these decisions. This is why it's so important to have diversity of thought and ideology and perspective and philosophy in your newsrooms. The Citizen Times in Asheville, they just posted a story this week uh, and they had like charts like, here's our diversity. And they're like, look, at we have this many white people, this many black people, this many women and this many men which I took as sort of like offensive because like, why are there only two genders there? Why are you only listing the two? Anyway, um, the, but they did nothing on, on partisan makeup. And that's so fundamental. When you're trying to cover this story, if you've got an entire newsroom packed with Democrats, what do you think their view of the COVID-19 risk is going to be? Well, according to this, it's going to be wildly divorced from reality. That's not helping to serve your audience. All you're going to do is pedal in panic at that point. Now, if you're panicking because you're trying to get your house sold and you don't know what to do, call Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team at 333-4483, her website, mountainhomehunt.com, and she'll get your house sold quickly and for more money. 
and maybe to me, Christy and I, we actually know we're we're actually looking uh, right now. We've been using Rowena uh, for a couple weeks now. She's got Derek Prickett, uh, you know, her uh, lender. He's met with us as well. It's a really easy process. I've been texting with Derek and texting with Rowena and calling her. And we're looking at houses. We're getting all of the alerts and stuff. And it can be uh, an almost overwhelming process. But she has given me some really great questions uh, to ask as we go through the process. Like one of the the, the paths we're looking at is doing some uh, maybe a build. And so we need to know certain things like in a new neighborhood that's going up, how many houses are actually complete. That's a really big number. How many rooftops are actually there? Because a lot of these developments get started and then they go bankrupt, right? So you don't want to be part of that. That's a bad situation. I had no idea. Like I didn't know what I didn't know. So if you're trying to buy or you're trying to sell, or you're trying to build, call Rowena, 333-4043. Rowena Patton and the all-star powerhouse team, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. So the people making these decisions on lockdowns and the people making dis- and the people uh, covering these decisions, if they are all generally of the same political persuasion of the left, they're going to have a perception of risk that is divorced from reality. And this is why, by the way, I suspect you don't see them ever talk about or question any of these numbers at the press conferences. There is a cognitive dissonance that occurs, right? The brain cannot understand and interpret the different signals, so it just shuts them down. I, really, like, I, I, I'm not, it's the only explanation it's the well, it's the benefit of the doubt explanation that I will afford the North Carolina press corps on this because I've been watching all of these press conferences for 7 months and none of them have ever asked a challenging skeptical question about herd immunity, case fatality rates, you know, uh, uh, risk by age group. They just don't ever talk about it because they have perceptions. And I suspect a lot of those perceptions are rooted in Donald Trump. So, this brings us to Joe Biden's acceptance speech at the DNC last night, okay? And here was what Joe Biden said about the pandemic response. We will never get our economy back on track. We will never get our kids safely back in schools. We'll never have our lives back until we deal with this virus. The tragedy of where we are today is it didn't have to be this bad. So you hear what he he lays out there. We'll never be able to go back to to normal, quote, until we deal with this virus. Well, the kids aren't getting it. The kids aren't really spreading it. And if they do get it, they're not dying from it. So you you got examples all around Europe. And now the studies are coming out because it's been seven months. You got countries in Europe that locked down, countries that didn't, some that implemented uh, mask bans, some that didn't. And there's no difference in the... uh, in the trajectory and the tapering off of the uh, infections and fatalities. So what is he even talking about? Well, he has a misperception. According to the survey, it makes sense now, right? Just look around. It's not this bad in Canada or Europe or Japan or almost anywhere else in the world. And the president keeps telling us the virus is going to disappear. He keeps waiting for a miracle. Well, I have news for him. No miracle is coming. See, this again, this is the fatal conceit of a lot of progressives, which is this belief that 
there's something you can do to stop the virus from being a virus. It's going to spread. Until there's a vaccine, it's going to spread. Unless you lock every single person in their own separate room for a month, all at the same time, then the virus can't make any jumps and it'll die off. That's the only way to do this, right? So, And I'm not willing to live in a society that takes that kind of authority over its citizenry. So what's the other alternative? You try to protect those who are most, most vulnerable and everybody else tries to live the best they can while taking some precautions, right? That's, I don't know, is that logical? I think so. We lead the world in confirmed cases. We lead the world in deaths. Our economy is in tatters with black, Latino, Asian American, Native American communities bearing the brunt of it. And after all this time, the president still does not have a plan. All right. The president did release guidance for all of the states. I went over this earlier. Right. But he left it to the states to handle their own emergencies, because when you're trying to deal with an outbreak, the federal government is actually not the best. This is the same argument after hurricanes with FEMA. And they were like, George Bush, let everybody die in New Orleans because he hates black people and all that garbage. Right. You're and he's Biden is also blaming Trump for the economic ravages that were due to the lockdowns that were imposed by democratic governors largely right i mean other states did lockdowns as well they did stay-at-home orders and stuff but a lot of the republican ones have been reopening and so democrats like you're reopening you're killing grandma and democrats have like ours our governor he's kept everything or a lot of stuff locked down still so now you're going to blame trump for that It deserves a local response. And to an extent, Roy Cooper even understands this because what did he just do with the universities, right? He just told them, you guys handle it. Well, I do. If I'm your president on day one. He has a plan. We'll implement the national strategy I've been laying out since March. We'll develop and deploy rapid tests with results available immediately. We'll make the medical supplies and protective equipment that our country needs We'll make them here in America so we will never again be at the mercy of China or other foreign countries in order to protect our own people. Isn't that what Trump did also? We'll make sure our schools have the resources they need to be open, safe, and effective. We'll put politics aside. We'll take the muzzle off our experts so the public gets the information they need and deserve. Honest, unvarnished truth. They can handle it. I'm not so sure. And considering the survey results I just went through, I'm not so sure your administration is the one to do it. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I also uh, have a quote here from Kimberly Strassel uh, in the Wall Street Journal. She tweeted out that, so Democrats spent this week claiming Joe Biden would have done better on the pandemic. Based on what exactly? A recounting of the Obama-Biden H1N1 moment when that happened? During which 60 million Americans contracted the disease? The Obama-Biden virus response, if, uh, if, they, if you were to extrapolate, if, you were to, if, if H1N1 was as deadly as COVID-19, it would have killed 2 million people. The, the fact that it wasn't as deadly is why the death count wasn't as high, wasn't 2 million, right? Their response wasn't better. 
the fatal conceit of big government statist progressives is that this federal government, this Leviathan, at its huge scale, will be able to micro-respond to all of these different areas around the nation and to do it well. That if we can just deploy the government to do these things, then the government will do those things and be successful. And conservatives take a dimmer view because history. Here is how Biden began his 25-minute speech last night. Good evening. Ella Baker, a giant of the civil rights movement, left us with this wisdom. Give people light and they will find the way. Give people light. Those are words for our time. The current president has cloaked American darkness for much too long. Too much anger, too much fear, too much division. Here and now, I give you my word. If you entrust me with the presidency, I will draw on the best of us, not the worst. I'll be an ally of the light, not the darkness. Wait. It's time for us, for we the people, to come together. And make no mistake, united we can and will overcome this season of darkness in America. We'll choose hope over fear, facts over fiction, fairness over privilege. All right, I just got to say this. Dog whistle. This is from the guy who opposed race-based busing, said he was proud to work with segregationists. He's blowing the dog whistle, talking about lightness and darkness. Right, that's how that works, right? Isn't that how that works? I'm supposed to assume the worst motivation. So when like he's he's sending code to all the racist, uh, unaffiliated or Democrat Trump voters that went over to Trump from Obama. Right. They turned racist. And so he's he's blowing that dog whistle about light and and, and dark in order. To, right. That's how that works. I don't know, guys. I'm yeah, I know. I'm not I'm not very good at this. Um, and so, you know, please forgive me if I messed it up, but I thought that's how that worked. I'm supposed to just hear the racism in all of the words. I, I, I that's what I, I'm, I'm a student here. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> Is that how that works? Does that sound like you, by the way? Uh, constantly asking, am I doing this right? How does this work? If that's you with your website for your business, then you need Schaefer Smith, Schaefer Smith design. Great design can solve a lot of your sites problems. You want it to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional and you want it to be user friendly, not just for your customers, but for you. So you can make changes as you need to. My friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design, he does professional services, corporate accounts, small businesses and entrepreneurs. He can help you with graphics and photos, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security. If you're looking to build an online store, he can help you with that. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. I got to say, though, I listened to Biden's speech twice because I pulled the sound bites the second time, and he did sound like Barack Obama in 2008, right up before the general election. And Obama sounded during that the, the, the end stretch there of the campaign. Obama sounded darn near Reagan-esque with the united, you know, no red states, no blue states. We're all American states like that. That was a unifying pitch to the people. And that's what I think Biden was going for. I'm a proud Democrat. And I'll be proud to carry the banner of our party into the general election. So it's with great honor and humility. I accept this nomination for president of the United States of America. 
But while I'll be a Democratic candidate, I will be an American president. I'll work hard for those who didn't support me, as hard for them as I did for those who did vote for me. That's the job of a president, to represent all of us, not just our base or our party. This is not a partisan moment. This must be an American moment. It's a moment that calls for hope and light and love, hope for our future, light to see our way forward and love for one another. America isn't just a collection of clashing interests of red states yep. and blue states. Mm-hmm. We're so much bigger than that. We're so much better than that. I don't know. Maybe I would have a different opinion. I would, I don't know, find this a little bit more believable if I wasn't watching Antifa and left-wingers set fire to cities. Yeah, I mean, just me. Um, maybe if this was coming from a guy who didn't try to convince black Americans that Mitt Romney was going to enslave them again. Right? I, I don't know. I just... And then there was this from the guy who was part of the administration, sat in on one of the meetings uh, to target Trump's campaign, but also an administration that used the IRS to target the Tea Party, the FBI, to target Trump's campaign. As many have said, America is at an inflection point, a time of real peril, but also of extraordinary possibilities. We can choose a path of becoming angrier, less hopeful, more divided, a path of shadow and suspicion, or... Or we can choose a different path and together take this chance to heal, to reform, to unite. A path of hope and light. This is a life-changing election. This will determine what America is going to look like for a long, long time. I agree. Character is on the ballot. Compassion is on the ballot. Decency, science, democracy, they're all on the ballot. Oh, God. Who we are as a nation what we stand for, and most importantly, who we want to be. That's all on the ballot. Yeah, we're aware. We're aware that um, the other half of the country that you promised to represent if elected, we're, we're aware of that. He then closes with a promise to root out systemic racism. History has thrust one more urgent task on us. Will we be the generation that finally wipes out the stain of racism from our national character. I believe we're up to it. I believe we're ready. Isn't a quick question here. Isn't the whole point of the systemic racism argument that you can't root it out because it is systemic? What am I missing here? Then moments later, he says this. This is a great nation. We're a good and decent people. For Lord's sake, this is the United States of America. And there's never been anything We've been able to accomplish when we've done it together. Wait, what? Uh, there's never been anything we've been able to accomplish when we've done it together. We've there's never been anything we've been able to accomplish. OK, um, I don't really get I mean, he, he flubbed the line. Fine. But he says, America, we are a good and decent people. This is America, right? Which is weird because he just spent a lot of the time in his speech talking about how racisty and fascisty, like basically half of the country is, that we're systemically racist. But we were a good and decent people, right? And Ben Shapiro says the shift from America is irrevocably racist and on the verge of fascism to this light and hope, he says, was pretty jarring. 
Adam Carolla notes some uh, notes very much the same thing. He says, I learned two things tonight. Our nation is systemically racist. But 83 seconds later, I learned this is a great nation filled with good and decent people. How is this possible? And then Biden closes. The Irish poet Seamus Heaney once wrote, history says, don't hope on this side of the grave. But then once in a lifetime, the longed for tidal wave of justice can rise up and hope and history rhyme. This is our moment to make hope and history rhyme with passion and purpose. Let us begin, you and I together, one nation under God, unite in our love for America, united in our love for each other. For love is more powerful than hate. Hope is more powerful than fear. And light is more powerful than dark. This is our moment. This is our mission. May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight. As love and hope and light join in the battle for the soul of the nation. And this is a battle we will win and we'll do it together. I promise you. Thank you. And may God bless you. And may God protect our troops. Just a couple of things to note here. Number one, he doesn't say God bless America. I don't know why. I don't know if there's anything to that, but I noted it. Number two, the media loved it. Oh my gosh, they were in full swoon. Best speech ever. Also, he has framed this speech and his candidacy and this election now as a battle between good versus evil, right? They're the good guys. Trump and the Republicans are the bad guys, the evil ones. This is incredibly destructive, in my view, because now by by framing it like this, if you lose, that means evil has won. And that really justifies virtually any kind of response because you're battling evil. It is what I've always said. They believe that the right is evil, and it justifies all manner of attack and resistance. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. I appreciate that. We'll talk to you later. Thanks so much for your support. Don't break anything while I'm gone.